0: The Crime Shark podcast. I'm your host, Baby Shark. First and foremost, I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in. My podcast has had over 500 plays. I'm so excited. Thanks for bearing with me and coming on this journey. I still have quite a bit to learn about the podcasting process, specifically with recording and editing as I'm sure you can tell. But I'm learning. I'm forever grateful to anyone who has listened. It means a lot to me. Happy June. It is a wonderful start to a new fiscal year at my office, which means my vacation has renewed, and I am so excited because I've been out of vacation time since January. How have I survived? I don't know. I will definitely plan better this year. I will plan better with my finances too, so hopefully I can attend CrimeCon next year. So who's going to be there? Who's going? Be sure to tag me and stuff on Twitter. Send me lots of pictures if you're going. I want to see what's going on. I'm considering buying the CrimeCon Insiders Pass. Because they'll be live streaming a number of sessions and I'm interested in quite a few. So I'm thinking about doing that. And then I can kind of feel like I was there. So I'm thinking I should probably add a disclaimer. I mean, I would think that any true crime podcast is in and of itself a disclaimer. But hey, you never know who's coming across this and just checking out an episode for fun. Plus, some of this content may not be easy for everyone to hear, even if they are a true crime fan. Today's episode will contain child abuse, murder, and sexual assault. If there are young listeners nearby, I would advise you to turn off your listening devices. Today, I want to tell you the story of Amber Hagerman. Her name might not be familiar to start with but I promise by the end of this, you'll realize you've known Amber for a long time. Amber Renee Hagerman was born on November 25th, 1986, in Arlington, Texas, to parents Richard and Donna. Amber was described by her mother as a typical all-American girl. She had brown hair, a face full of freckles, and blue eyes. She was a Girl Scout and she loved to ride her bicycle. This sort of description would perfectly describe thousands of girls in the 80s and the early 90s. It would still describe thousands of young girls today. On January thirteenth, 1996, Amber was riding her bicycle with her five-year-old brother, Ricky. When I first read about this case, I wondered how someone was riding a bicycle in January and I had to remind myself that this is not a New York case and Texas doesn't have the snow that we do. That's not to say that Texas never gets snow, because they do, but the Arlington area doesn't see that much snowfall. In fact, it sees maybe less than one inch of snowfall per year. Um, I think I'm going to move to Arlington because I am definitely sick of winter. Amber and Ricky rode their bikes to an abandoned grocery store parking lot. In that parking lot, there was a bike ramp. Many of the neighbor kids had used it. She and her brother rode around for a while, but eventually Ricky decided to go back home, and Amber stayed. Minutes later, the unthinkable happens. What has been described as a black or dark blue pickup truck pulls into the parking lot. A man gets out and grabs Amber. Jimmy Kevel witnesses this abduction from his backyard. He said she screamed once and was kicking. The man pulled Amber into his truck and sped off. Jimmy called the police and they were on the scene in a matter of minutes. He described the man as white or hispanic under 6 feet tall and possibly aged between 25 to 40. The man was also described as having a medium build. The frantic search begins. Who took Amber and where is she? Amber had recently been on a news program in November of 1995. A few short months before her abduction. Could her killer have seen her on TV? Does this mean it was a local man? Her mother had been interviewed for a special about families on welfare. Donna had recently left her husband, Amber's father, Richard Hagerman. Donna had described the relationship as abusive. And she has spent some time in a women's shelter. Donna struggled financially when she divorced her husband, but she was determined to improve her life and provide for her children. She received no child support, a choice she had made. But Donna didn't let her situation get the best of her. Instead, she started making strides. She earned her GED and was on a waiting list for job training hoping these would lead to better employment opportunities. Donna even volunteered at the Arlington Welfare Office. The special shows Donna looking for clothes at local charities. She tells the camera, so my children can stay warm this winter. It also shows Donna showing off a birthday present she had made payments on for Amber, a Pocahontas shirt, Leggings, socks, doll accessories, and a Pocahontas sheet set. This gave me chills. I can still remember a present I got for Christmas one year. It was a little Pocahontas toy set with Pocahontas and John Smith figurines, a canoe, and a little raccoon. I remember getting it for Christmas Eve one year. And I got this present because it had been under the Christmas tree and I remember shaking it and I accidentally poked a hole through the wrapping paper and I could see what it was so my parents had decided to give it to me early that year. I wasn't usually a snooper but my curiosity had gotten the best of me. Amber was born less than a year before me. It's likely the year she received her Pocahontas birthday presents was the same year I received that Christmas gift. Amber's case actually resonates with me for another reason. The reason I became a true crime fan. When I was younger, a big case near me was the disappearance of Sarah Ann Wood. She too was riding her bicycle when she went missing. I think that Sarah's case was really the first time I remember learning that some adults hurt children. So, to circle back to this special that Amber's mother Donna did with the news, Amber had made an appearance too. She showed off her scrapbook, proud of her academic achievements. Amber made good grades, mostly A's and B's, and she really had a love for education. Was Amber's killer watching? Four short days after Amber's abduction, her body was discovered in a creek. A man had been walking his dog near the Forest Hills apartment complex when he noticed something white. After closer investigation, he realized it was a body. It was a tragic ending to an already heart-wrenching story. An autopsy revealed that Amber had been kept alive for two days after her abduction. She had been beaten and sexually assaulted before being murdered. Amber was found with her throat cut. Because her body had been laying in a creek, most forensic evidence had been washed away. There had been a large storm as well, meaning the creek was higher And the water was rushing faster. This didn't help. Law enforcement received many leads, but Amber's case remains unsolved. So who killed Amber? Was it someone she knew? Could it have been someone local? Perhaps it was simply an opportunistic killer passing through town. Because she screamed and fought as she was being hauled into the pickup truck, one would think that maybe she did not know her killer. But this doesn't necessarily mean her killer did not know her. When you're young, your parents might have friends that they know who you are, but you don't know who they are. Could this have been someone who knew the family? What could have been done differently in Amber's case? Well... Diana Simone had a great idea. Diana was a mother herself, and even though she had never met Amber, she wanted something to be done. Diana called a local radio station. She asked the broadcasters why they sent out severe weather alerts and warnings, but did not send out alerts for missing or abducted children. Had there been some kind of alert system set up? identifying the suspect and their vehicle, maybe they would have been able to find Amber's abductor. And since she was alive for two days before she was killed, maybe Amber could have been found alive. It was no doubt a great idea. So remember how I said you've probably known of Amber for a long time, but never really knew it? Amber Hagerman is the namesake for what is now known as an AMBER Alert. Technically, now, the AMBER of AMBER Alert means America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. Though this is a contrived acronym, also known as a backronym, meaning the acronym itself was created after the name AMBER Alert had already existed, In the United States, Amber Alerts are used in all 50 states, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Several other countries also use Amber Alerts, including Canada, Mexico, Australia, Europe, and more. A total of 30 other countries besides the United States uses the alert system. Alerts were originally distributed via commercial and public radio stations, broadcast television, and satellite radio by the emergency alert system. Now, with more modern technology, alerts can be issued via SMS text messages. I'm sure by now, almost everyone has received an alert via text message. I mean, this should go without saying... And I'm sure I don't have to remind any of my listeners of this, but don't call 911 to complain about being woken up by an Amber Alert. That is the most ridiculous and selfish thing I've ever heard of people doing. Recently, an Amber Alert had been issued on a Thursday night in February of 2019 for a missing 11 year old girl in Canada. The alert was sent out at 11.36 p.m. Due to the late timing of this alert, Canadian police received calls, emails, and social media complaints. The missing 11-year-old girl was found dead, but the suspect was located because of a 911 call as a result of the alert. So the system does work. In this case, it's unfortunate that the little girl lost her life, but at least the suspect was apprehended. The public had no compassion for this little girl. Instead, they were angry to be woken up from their slumber, angry enough to file complaints and clog up emergency response phone lines. Don't be like these selfish and irresponsible people. Even with the sad outcome of this case, A few short months later in May, it happened again. Toronto Police had to tweet a reminder stating, once again, our communications center has been receiving a number of calls from citizens, using it as a platform to complain about being awakened by the Amber Alert. Reminder, 911 is for emergencies only. Please help us to keep our phone lines free for real emergencies. Now, I can't believe in 2019, we would need to issue those kinds of reminders. The child in May was luckily found safe, but still, you never know what may happen with these cases. The Amber Alert System is responsible for successfully recovering 957 children. As of April, 2019, It is a system that works. It is a system that is important. Please don't take Amber Alerts lightheartedly, even if you don't think there's anything that you can do to help. And please, don't ever call 911 to complain. Amber Hagerman's murder remains unsolved. If you or anyone you know has any information on the details of Amber's death, or who is responsible, you're asked to call the Tarrant County Crime Stoppers at 817-469-TIPS, which is 817-469-8477. Crime Stoppers is a 100% safe and anonymous way to report tips. There is a $10,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of the person responsible for Amber's death. Thank you for tuning in to episode 5 of the Crime Shark Podcast. Please feel free to subscribe and leave a review. It would be most appreciated. You can follow me on Twitter at Crime underscore Shark. Find me on Instagram as Crime Shark, one word. I'm also on Facebook as Crime Shark, two words. Until next time, stay safe out there and don't do anything I wouldn't do.